North Korea, meanwhile, we have just learned. A bigoted middle class is holding back. This man is an atheist. real news. You are shaken by the severity. I want to thank you especially. Uh, one of your good friends. The whole thing was a bit of a... Joining us now, Fox Bear Club. And I guess they're Good morning. That was so much better. The people who come early are not awake. Just telling you, you guys have it all over them. It's uh, fun. My name is Doug, and it is great to be back at North Point. I want to thank Rick for inviting me. Uh, thank you so much. It is so good to hear what God is doing here. And uh, I hope I get a chance to share some of what God is doing in our neck of the woods, um, which used to be one place. So it used to make us angry when people would call us Crossroads Farms, and we would think there's only one of us, so quit making our job harder. Um, but we are now Crossroads Farms, plural. And so uh, I find this, I find that we spend so much time dissatisfied with the pace that God moves, and we're always asking him to speed things up, and then he's like, you can't run with me. And then when he starts running, we spend the rest of our lives going, can you slow down a bit, please, God? I don't, I don't feel like I can keep up. Um, I'll just share this with you. If you don't know anything about Crossroads Farm, it's easy to just uh, visit us at our table. We have lovely assistants there. My daughters are here, uh, and my wife is here today. I don't know if they're in here. Maybe they heard the sermon once before, and they weren't trying to avoid me. But, um, but I just want you to know you can meet my family and find out if all the stories are true by asking them uh, face-to-face and get some information about our ministry. I will tell you this. God is doing a cool work, and uh, I always say this. I feel like uh, Indigo Montoya is too much I sum up, and because um, <laughs> we haven't seen each other for a year, and God is running so fast in our ministry that it's just so much. So I share different things at the first service, you'll have to get together with those people and find out that half, and I'll share some things with you, and maybe you can encourage each other. I don't know. Um, But God is doing some amazing things. When we started Crossroads Farm, it was my wife and myself and another couple, and then within a year, the other couple quit, and we blamed each other for that. Um, But what happened is um, God um, put us in a position where we were in total dependence on Him. North Point was part of our dependence on God. Um, I spoke here for the better part of, I don't know, however many years, and we relied on that check coming about once a month. Totally dependent. Sometimes thinking we can't make it unless we have this speaking thing. And so I want to thank you for that. Some of you have been really instrumental in our ministry. Uh, A lot of you have come down. You've seen what we've done. You've built stuff. Maybe you've killed animals. I don't know, but uh, you've been down, and it's great to be with you this morning. I'll just share a couple quick things. Um, so when we started, it was Dawn and I, and then um, we you know, tried to convince people to join our staff. Hey, come join our staff. I felt like Batman in Justice League where, you know, Wonder Woman asks, so how many are there? And he said, well, right now there are three. And she said, including me? Um, I, I, I want you to know that at times um, it has felt like we keep on telling people, we have two people on staff. It's my wife and I. And if I include my kids, who at the time were three and one, um, <laughs> there are four of us on staff. I think that what we've discovered is that God moves at his own pace. Currently, there are 15 employees at Crossroads Farm, plural, um, who are raising support, and that number is growing. Um, In fact, I'll just tell you, if you're looking for a career in uh, farming or in ministry, 
a hybrid. Uh, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but besides that, God has brought people um, to our ministry who are gifted and talented and committed to him. And God is spreading this thing called rural youth ministry and a model for doing it effectively in rurally remote areas. And uh, it's been fun. So a few weeks ago, we had a privilege of being interviewed by Moody Radio, a guy named Chris Brooks, who uh, does a show called Equipped. And um, it was fun when he said, hey, we'd like to interview you guys because... We don't know anybody in the country. So um, we got the tag and um, got to do an hour interview. About five minutes into the show, they took their first break, and Chris came on and said, man, Doug, we have hit a nerve. He said, the, the, the entire phone bank has lit up, and we're taking calls from all across the country. And he said, I mean, as far away as Fairbanks, Alaska, as far east as, uh, as Maine, and as far south as Florida and Texas. He said, we, we, we just lit up the second we said youth ministry in rural America. And there is a need that Crossroads Farm is praying that God will help us meet. You realize there are 62, 58 to 62 million people in rural communities. That's, uh, that's a huge number. And so God has allowed us to do that. We did the interview with Chris, and it's been fun. The reason we got to do that is one of the staff members that God brought on, um, and I don't know how this happens. I, maybe it's that we serve good pie or something. I don't know. Uh, but one of our new staff members is a guy named Dr. Bert Spaulding. Bert uh, was a, a department chair at Wayne State University in ethics, and then he switched and got another degree and did law, and he switched and did another degree. I mean, he's, he has eight uh, postgrad degrees. He is also a, a professor at a college called Geneva College in Pennsylvania, where he writes curriculum and does, uh, does a lot of their classes. And Bert just said, hey, I'm getting ready to retire. You got anything for me to do? I said, well, I want you to think about it, pray about it, and then, you know, we'll give you some ideas. Bert is our director of pastoral care at Crossroads Farm. His entire purpose is to develop our pastors in rural communities because there needs to be someone who cares about these flocks and who embraces them. And so Bert comes every two weeks. We have this graduate level roundtable discussion with our pastors in our rural communities, and Bert's heading the charge. Everything from theology to to practicum, how you do an effective sermon. And um, so I, I just, I laugh because we don't pay Bert anything. Uh, if any of you are interested in a free career, And I just love what God's doing. It's not something we can orchestrate. It's not something we could do. God's doing it in spite of us. That's the role of God in our lives as Christians. God does in spite of us. And and I'm amazed that God chooses jokers like me. I mean, if you think about it, if you were here 19 years, 20 years ago, when we said we were going to do this Crossroads Farm thing, you probably thought, I'd give that a month. Like, that, that is not going to last. First of all, Doug in the country, make me laugh. Like, my wife makes jokes about that. She said, you didn't even have a hammer when we got married. I'm like, I didn't have anything to fix. I mean, there was, there was no point. 
Um, we have uh, just launched a, um, this is kind of fun, but we just launched a podcast. Um, the hard launch is this week. If you'd like to tune in and find the story of Crossroads Farm, um, it's available on our website. It's also available on iTunes. It's called Homegrown Podcast, Homegrown the Podcast. But the problem with that is on iTunes, there are 10 million podcasts. It's hard to find us. So just go to our website and uh, look at it there. If you want to hear the story, we're five stories in and we haven't started ministry yet. <laughs> It's just one of those things. We, we found that as we started to tell the story of Crossroads Farm, our story, there was so much that we had to tell to get people ready to hear the story of what we were doing. Five podcasts were all infrastructure and backstory. That's, again, the story of our faith. It seems like everything we do is backlog and backstory and, and laying infrastructure. And we have to do that because God is at work in and through us. The story that, uh, that I get to tell today is an exciting story, sort of, in that you get to make up all the details because there aren't a lot of details to the story. And you've been going through the book of Esther, and that's a fascinating story. And we focus on really just four characters in the book. But Mordecai is a fascinating guy. Not because uh, he does anything really spectacularly fascinating, but he's the guy that lays under the current of everything that happens in the book. This, this is a guy who operates by raising uh, his cousin and he raises her as his own, as his daughter. And somehow God moves her into a position of being the queen of Persia. I mean, this is an amazing story. And Mordecai kind of lays underneath the whole thing. He, he's, he's the background track to it all. Now, we mention his name, but we don't really know much about the, the story because it just makes these matter-of-fact statements. That's really the problem with the Bible. Uh, you know, when I talk to somebody who hasn't read the Bible, they're saying, well, it's so big, it's so long. I'm like, it's really not. I mean, it's not as long as the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So, I mean, really, just not, not as long. So when you're, when you're reading it, it's, it's just so long. There's so much stuff there. I'm like, yeah, and they glossed over it all. They don't have time to tell you the, the stuff because you would still be reading in Genesis if you started 25 years ago. And then God took the molecular structure of light, broke it down in a classroom for himself. And then he said, let there be light. And there was. Let me explain how that happened. And you, you'd be like, I'm never going to get through light. I'm not going to understand any of this. This is one of those stories. It's found in Esther chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. And here's what it says, when the virgins were gathered together the second time. Now, I did a lot of looking because um, there was a first time when the virgins were gathered together. It was the beauty thing that went on where Esther won, uh, you know, the first biblical beauty contest. And Esther won. It's biblical. If you're Miss America, you're in God's grace, I guess. But um, so Esther wins a beauty contest and they said they gathered them together. I don't know why there was some formal gathering of the virgins, which is just a weird invitation to send, right? And it says, when the virgins were gathered together for the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. I, again, there's so much stuff. It just randomly makes these statements. This is apparently a job. It's the job I want sitting anywhere at a gate. Like, I don't, 
I don't know if he was just people watching or if he was recording people who are in and out or he's just sitting at the gate. That's his job. That's a formality. He's, he's a part of the king's official uh, um, entourage. And it says this, that he was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her as she had done when under his care. I want to stop there. The first thing that I noticed about this passage was Esther. Because although she is the queen of Persia, she is still in submission to the leadership above her, to the people that God had placed around her to raise her. I'm amazed that sometimes when we become the big dog, the boss, the cheese, whatever you, you know, called me. My staff calls me the idiot sometimes. I actually, for me, I, I aspire to being that old guy on the golf cart that nobody knows what he actually does and that my staff will be so young that they won't actually know who I am. Just who is that guy and why does he keep on interrupting me? And they'll just say, yeah, just entertain him, just whatever. He lost his mind when he was in his 40s, just, just when he started this thing. So we, uh, we love the concepts. I love the concepts of being in charge. But being in charge doesn't actually mean being in charge. Any boss knows that. It's amazing how many people will tell me on my staff, you know, I just want to be like you. I'm like, no, you do not. You have no idea what that means. And I'm not being condescending. All I'm saying is the road that it takes to be the person that you are is a road that only you have traveled. It is so difficult to be the person. Even Esther knows that. So when Mordecai gives her information, she takes it and she obeys it. And it's an amazing thing because God uses it. I wonder how often we listen to people that God places in our lives. That friend that says something to you, do we, do we respond to it? The pastor, if we did what a pastor said, it would be amazing how wise and godly we would be. If the pastor did what the pastor said, it would be amazing how wise and godly the pastor. That's my problem with sermons. I find that I have to preach it to myself, and most often I spend the bulk of the prep time convicted of my own sin. This is one of those sermons convicted of my own, my own pettiness. Here's what it says from verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan, which is a weird name. I don't know if it was the Bigthan, you know, the big guy. But Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door. These are not trustworthy people to have guarded the door. Became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, I'll just say this. That is his Hebrew name. His, uh, his Persian name is Xerxes. You've probably heard that. So this is the guy, the king of Persia. They want to lay hands on him. I don't think that means a godly thing. I don't think they want to pray over him, maybe over his dead body, but they don't want to pray over his live body. These guys want him dead. They want to hurt him. And here's what it says. But the plot became known to Mordecai. No more details. It just says it became known to him. These are either the two worst plotting murderers on on the planet or God had a hand in it. Like, seriously, what are they doing? Telling people, you know what we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to kill the king. Shh, don't tell anybody. I posted it on Facebook. It got 50 likes. 
This is funny. I mentioned this. That's a true story. Actually, they've caught murderers who are looking for hitmen on Facebook. And I think, what kind of hitman is like trolling Facebook looking for opportunities to make a couple extra bucks? Usually I make my hits for the mob, but I was thinking about, you know, angry housewives. So started hitting Facebook. Weird. <laughs> How did Mordecai find out that they wanted to, who knows, but I know this, God gave him the information to act on. He didn't create it. It doesn't say on Mordecai who is a super sleuth. It doesn't say that. He's a guy who sits at the gate. He hears things, you know, and he acts on it. It says this, but the plot became known to Mordecai and he told Queen Esther. He could have probably taken it to the king himself. Hey, king, I don't know. I know I'm not supposed to interrupt you, but I think this is kind of important. See those two guys? He doesn't. He gives it to Esther. We'll talk about that in a second. But the plot became known. And so Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now, when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on the gallows. Just an interesting statement. Um, it, it probably wasn't by noose. But um, gallows, um, uh, the preferred way to kill uh, murderers, it was impalement. I don't know if you knew that. It's gruesome. <laughs> That's a horrible way to go. I'd rather hang any day than you know, become impaled, but that's how they did it. And then it says this, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. The king doesn't even remember it. Like he forgets. Oh yeah, remember that time those two guys tried to kill me and we, we impaled them? That was great. I mean, he doesn't even remember it. it it's, he recalls it when he can't sleep one night and they're reading back to him the events of his own life. If you ever want to go to sleep quickly, just have somebody record your life and read it back to you at the end of every day. At seven o'clock, you got, I, I wouldn't even get to that. I'd be out so fast. That's what the king did. Here's my point, I think. The God is working when I do the right thing, even if nobody notices. If I was going to call this sermon something, it would be this. If a nursery worker dies in the nursery and doesn't scream on the way out, does anyone notice? I mean, really, don't, don't we want to be noticed for everything we do? For everything we do. I am a socially needy person. And so I, I, I'm also verbal affirmation. That's my love language. Any verbal affirmation people here? Yeah, good job. Way to raise your hand. Fantastic. I love all you guys. You're, you're the best. <laughs> Nobody can do it like you. <laughs> yeah. All of those who want to be physically loved, you're going to have to go to my wife because that creeps me out. All right, so... This whole love thing, you know, love language, I need people to tell me I'm great. Now, don't do that, please. That'll be awkward for both of us. But I, I want people to reward me for stupid stuff. I, I make announcements about things. Like, just, just took the garbage out. Did you see that? <laughs> took it all the way right to the road. Boom, right here. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? I might do that again next month. Who does that, by the way, around here? Anybody? That's so crazy. I want people to say, wow, that is fantastic. You are such, you took the garbage out. That is, you're amazing. I want my wife to give me accolade for things. Hey, I made the Kraft macaroni and cheese. 
right there. Did it on my own. Didn't even follow most of the, uh, you know, the instructions, the directions. Didn't even really follow those. I kind of made it up. That's why it's soupy. And it tastes like chocolate syrup. My wife has to be frustrated, I think, a little bit with that because I, I need that. I want that. One of my struggles in this ministry, honestly, is that we knew it was valuable. We knew it was important. And it made me angry that nobody was talking about it. I'm just being honest. I mean, nobody knew what we did and nobody really cared. And I kept on thinking, Lord, aren't you going to start, you know, I mean, maybe ring the bell once in a while? Aren't you, you know, throw a bone to this guy? I'm getting older. And God said, you're missing the point. The point of my work in you is not to bring attention to you. The point of my working in you is to bring attention to me. I'm amazed at how needy I am. So as I look at Mordecai, who reports these two guys who are going to kill the king and doesn't get noticed and nobody even buys them a dinner, I realized a couple things that I'll just mention at the beginning. He passes it on through Esther. And I, I, the more I've read this passage, the more I believe that was a willful and determined thought. He said, I don't need the credit, but she will. Now, I don't know if that was in faith. I don't know if God told her that she was going to, but if he had not passed that information down through, through her, that was just another feather in her cap. It was another star on her forehead. That was something that would make her stand out. She brought that to the king. The king would remember that because of her. She was his favorite, and he gained credit for her by giving her the credit and the information. Then she took it to the king, and he took care of it, and nothing happened. I mean, no, no cookie for Mordecai. Nothing. You know, I want credit for everything. I showed up. I was at church. I don't know if you noticed that. Have you ever wanted credit for being on time? Like that's a thing? You know, hey, did you notice? Right here on time. Gr- great. I mean, it is your wedding and stuff, so, you know... <laughs> I'm amazed at how much credit I want. Listen, here's the first thing that I want you to understand, that God is always at work. And he is working whether you get credit or not, whether you like it or not. But the theme of this sermon is not when bad stuff happens to Christians. The theme of this sermon is when you don't get enough good stuff happening to you. It's about entitlement. We, we own our faith, but we want credit for our faith. And here's the deal. We didn't do our faith. We didn't create it. We didn't die for our own sins. We didn't come to earth and save ourselves. This is all God's work, but we want credit for it. I'm looking at this passage and I'm, just, I, I'm blown away at how much I need. And when God doesn't give it to me, how angry I am at God. You're a basketball player in high school and you don't get to start, but you think you're a better player. You want credit and you get mad at God. You're doing the right thing, but your parents aren't understanding how great a kid you are and you don't get credit for it. You get mad at God. You're doing the right thing. You're, you're, you're being a godly wife. You're praying for your husband. You're, you're taking care of his needs, but he doesn't seem to recognize it and you get mad at God. This is about entitlement how we become bitter and hostile when we don't get credit. 
But there's something that we need to know. I'll whip through these so you can understand where my heart is. Number one, God is more concerned with who you are in him than what you do for him. I preach this all the time everywhere I go. God is more concerned with who you are in him than what you do for him. Because God doesn't need what you do. He allows you to participate in it, but he didn't call you at creation. He's like, I'm thinking of this concept called trees. Got any ideas? He didn't need me. He didn't need my input for anything. God created life ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. And and I get all excited because we had a baby and I want credit for it. It's like, it looks like me. And, And people are like, that is not credit. That is not a credit to your child. You should, you should not claim anything. You should just say, that looks like my wife, because it does. That's why it's attractive. Your daughter is attractive, because she looks like your wife. Here's the deal. I know that God is at work in me. Mordecai has to realize that God's at work in him, or else he, he probably would have been upset, but you don't hear about him being upset. He, he realizes that God is at work in and through him. When we do the right thing, God is living himself out through us. I, I've realized a couple things. Number one, God's doing it. How much credit do I want? Anytime I am more righteous than I was the day before, it's God at work in me. I, I don't have a mechanism for becoming more godly. There is no internal motivation that makes me more like Jesus. That is entirely a supernatural thing that God has to do. And God is at work to do that. How much credit do I take for that? I read my Bible today. Good. God told you. And actually, God reminded you four times. And then when the Bible fell off and it hit you, and you went, I should read that, that was God. How much credit do you want? I prayed today. Good. I bet God got a lot out of that. told somebody about Jesus. Awesome. You are an awesome human being. That was God. Whenever I do something, it is God. And so I'm looking at that and I think, number one, I can't take credit for it. Number two, (laughs) and this part I love, I'm not, look, I'm not doing anything God couldn't do on his own. I am just simply doing what's right. That is such a great concept. I don't care who you are. You need to remember that all the time. We do what's right because we benefit when we do what's right. There's a benefit in just doing what's right. There's a benefit in showing up on time. There is a benefit in showing up to work, period. There is a benefit from taking care of your body. There is a benefit from saving money. There is a benefit from learning how to be generous. There is a benefit from speaking lovingly. There is a benefit from not lying. There's a benefit from not stealing. There's a benefit from not killing. The lack of personal impalement is one of them. There is a benefit to doing what's right. If we just did our jobs, we would find that God would move us in his direction. And I want credit for it. And God's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, well, you know what? That's not really why I was doing it. The second thing that I want you to understand about God is this. That opposition is another name for opportunity. Opposite, and that sounds like God speak, doesn't it? Oh, great. Yeah, like I didn't know that. But we don't. 
God plays evil like a short suit at cards. There is nothing that Satan can devise, plan, strategize, structure, create. There is no havoc he can make that God doesn't understand the outcome of. And that God is not at work in and through to make us more like him. If we are really the product of God's intention, then everything that happens around us, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that, it all creates his will. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't horrible that happens in life. He didn't create evil, and he is not doing evil, but he plays evil. He plays it against the creator, against the one who does evil, and God wins. These two guys wanted to kill, and God says, I can use that, and he does. Now, God, God didn't tell the two guys, go and kill the king. It's a bad idea, and by the way, tell everybody. It's a great one. He didn't say that. But God uses two killers to elevate Esther in Xerxes' mind and heart. And he uses Mordecai to do it. We are just conduits for God. Why do I read my Bible? Because I need to be plugged into God who's changing me. Why do I need to be in constant communication with God? Because I need to be connected to God. I need to be connected to him. I need to hear his voice. I need to talk to him. He, he, we need to be talking, communicating. Why? Because I'm just a conduit for his will. Well, opposition. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You know the verse, right? It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is Joseph talking. If ever a guy had a bum rap, it's this guy. His brothers hated him so much they wanted to not only kill him, they did, but they couldn't sell him and make money from doing that. And so they determined they could sell him instead. I don't know what the greater evil is, killing somebody that you hate or selling them into slavery. I mean, this is a torture for him for the rest of his life. For all they knew, they'd sold him to the worst possible living environment ever. And God took that evil and moved him. Do you realize that Joseph doesn't ascend to the position he has unless his brothers hate him, want to kill him, and sell him instead? God plays evil like a short suit at Euchre. Wow. And when I understand that, I, I get a chance to go, this is his control. He gets it. Opposition. If I have opposition, it means I'm standing for something, and it means God's moving. I'll share this with you because I love this point. Energy, not credit, comes when we do what we're supposed to do well. I, I want to say that again. Energy, not credit, comes when we do what we're supposed to do well. When I do my utmost for his highest, what I gain is never supposed to be credit, but instead it is energy. 
It's knowing that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm fighting through the difficulty, that I'm struggling, that I'm making progress, that I'm growing. I tell my staff all the time, I said, look, if you stopped trying to ascend and just were committed to the process of doing your best, you would find that you gain such energy from completing a day that you are far more successful at the end of a week, far more successful at the end of a month, far more successful at the end of a year, and you look more like Jesus doing it. But we want credit. I do. I took out the garbage. Great. You want a cookie? It's in the garbage. Here's what it says in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5 through 10. It says, say to all the people of the land. Say to all the people of the land. Okay, I'm willing. It says, uh, when you fasted and you mourned in the fifth and seventh months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? Did you do it for me? Why'd you do it? When you eat and drink, don't you eat and drink for yourselves? And, and I mean, really, don't you drink for yourselves? Aren't these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous along with its cities around it and the Negev and the foothills were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah and said this, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. Here's the point. Why are we doing this? There is a benefit from doing what God commands because he's righteous and he's faithful and he's good. And if I just do what he commands, I don't have to get credit. I don't. It cracks me up when a football player scores a touchdown and does a dance for the crowd. And I think that's not really why we're paying you. I mean, some of you actually I'd pay to not see that. And actually, if you scored more touchdowns, you'd find you were less excited about it because it was kind of run of the mill. I don't know if anybody remembers a guy named Barry Sanders. He just used to hand the ball to the official. Here, I'm going to be back in a couple minutes. <laughs> Say, save that one for me, okay? That's great. I actually think sometimes he probably just kind of laughed to himself and went, that was really good what I did right there. And then he'd hand the football off because he expected to score. He expected to win. He was doing what was right. For for Pete's sakes, the Lions had actually hired people that weighed the same as a Chevy half-ton pickup truck to block and put a hole in front of them. And I'm amazed because there are people who act like that was all them. No, it was the 300-pound man that crushed another 300-pound man that gave you a place to run. Granted, it was on top of them both. But that's, that was your path. Why are you dancing as if it was what you did? Yeah, you did. You contributed. You were part of it. I keep on saying, look, when we get to heaven, none of us are going to be dancing going, you see that Christian move I made back there? See how I got through the gates? Yeah, my name's not even on the list. I faked right, went left, I'm in. It is not us. It is him. And I gain energy spiritually. I gain energy in my marriage. I gain energy as a parent. I gain energy as a giver. When generosity happens, I gain energy, not credit. Oh, by the way, because I don't deserve the credit because I didn't really do it because I didn't really give myself the money. Oh, but I worked the job. And God gave you the job. Like God gave Joseph the job. Like God gave Mordecai the job. Like God gave Esther the job. And God gave them the favor of his hand. 
It's amazing to me that God continues to give favor to clowns like me. So here's what I want to end with. Setting the stage is as important as playing the concert. It just is. Setting the stage is just as important as setting the... In fact, it's probably more important. Uh, a friend of mine, Reggie Joyner, uh, he's the CEO of, um, uh, of Orange. And he asked me this question. He said, Doug, does it take 17 years? He asked us a couple years ago. He said, does it take 17 years to have a successful rural youth ministry? And I said, no. No, we were successful right away. But it would be worth it if it did. It would be worth it to spend 17 years and see God move. It would be worth it to spend 50 years and see God move. I love that when we we talk about God weaving, he is weaving a tapestry, he is not screening a t-shirt. And my part in a tapestry is that I have one thread in what could potentially be millions of threads. I have one thread. And for me to go, see my thread right there? See that? Look at that. Actually, not the whole thread, just that one inch right there. Look at what I did. Tied right in with that other thread. That was me. God is weaving a tapestry. He's not silkscreening a t-shirt. And we will not know our part, and we will not know how insignificant or significant it was until we view the entire tapestry in eternity for eternity. And when we are so busy trying to play our own concerts this week, this month, this day, this hour, and I want accolade for it, when I'm so busy playing my own concert, I miss the fact that I'm participating in an eternal concert and we won't see it until we're together in glory and the only song we'll be singing is Worthy is the Lamb. Praise God. We don't know. I don't really want. I don't really want glory for what I'm doing. Can I share a story as we tie up? J.R.R. Tolkien was uh, writing the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Hobbit, and he'd become bogged down, uh, bogged down with the detail of the languages and the maps and the geography and the people groups, and uh, there was so much detail in it. And when he became bogged down by those details, he, he knew he needed a break, and so he took a writing job in a mag- for a magazine. He wrote a short story. short story was about a painter, just to give himself a break. And this painter, uh, a guy who had some talent, but was never really recognized, started to paint a masterpiece, his life work. He started to paint his life's work. He saw in his mind this landscape, this incredible landscape, it started with a leaf. He was best at leaves. And it started with a leaf. And in that landscape, there was a tree that had these leaves. And the leaves were incredible, had incredible detail. And there was a tree. And he saw the tree perfectly. Every limb, every branch. He saw the shadow of the tree and how it shifted. And he saw the field that ran behind the tree. And behind the tree, there was a river that ran along. And then there was a forest up past that that ran up into the mountains. And he saw the mountains. And he saw the sky and the clouds and the sun and he started to paint and he painted what he could do which was a leaf but then spring came and he had started the painting in winter and so he he changed the leaf and it reflected the new season and he painted a different leaf but it was the same leaf 
on the same tree that he still saw and the same field that he still saw, only this time the field was, was turning more green and, and then it became summer and the leaf changed again. And then it became fall and the leaf changed again. And then he worked and worked and worked, but somehow never managed to get any more than a leaf. And the story goes that when he finished that leaf, he was ready to go on a a long journey. He never really completed the the painting. The long journey for Tolkien was always death. And so he, he got on a train to take his last final voyage And when he got to that faraway land, Tolkien said he stepped off the train and onto the platform of the train station. And behind the train station, he saw a tree. And on that tree, he saw his leaf. And he said to himself, there really is a tree. And behind that tree, the field expanded and there was the river that he'd seen so many times in his head. And there was a forest that ran up into the mountains exactly like the one he had tried to paint by painting his leaf. And the mountains were the same and the sky was the same. But all he ever really accomplished was to paint a leaf. The echo in eternity was everything else. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you've um, labored and you're doing the right stuff, but it's just not bringing credit. Can I ask you to do me a favor? Can I ask you to confess that? It's his credit, not ours. It's his vision, not ours. It's his work, not ours. So I'd like you to just confess that, Lord. I have my eyes on me. Jesus' name.